everybody, it is Friday, March 15th, 2019, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Ezelike, and I am here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode, well, we're kind of doing the normal, regular thing, uh, but also folding in some uh, thoughts uh, coming out of the, uh, well, the lack of a show on Tuesday. So I want to take a little bit more of an extended uh, approach to talk about the Tesla Model Y, which was announced last night uh, out in California. Uh, There are a lot of uh, things that I think need to be considered about this vehicle. Things that uh, Tesla does that I don't 100% agree with uh, in the way things are going. And actually, there is a lot more to talk about with Tesla, too. Uh, So we will get into that. Uh, We'll talk today about uh, charging from home, uh, specifically uh, from Amazon. Amazon is getting their fingers in damn near everything these days, and uh, they're looking to make home car charging uh, a big part of their business. And uh, so they've got some different things that they've worked out with some different automakers. So we'll kind of talk about the weird way that's working out, which I think actually solves a lot of problems for a lot of people. And then last up, we're going to talk about a car that, let's just say, I've always been kind of interested in. I've never really researched. There's been a lot of really good videos about this car recently, uh, and uh, I think it's definitely worth thinking about. It's the Buick LeSabre, arguably one of the last of the great 90s GM cars uh, before everything just went to shit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll kind of talk about that and specifically about some of the videos that have come out about the car, uh, more recently. Uh, so that will kind of wrap up this episode altogether. But before we get to all that, uh, this is the part of the show where I remind you that you can follow along with this podcast at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. And you can also subscribe for free on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Uh, I'd really appreciate it if they are uh, on a place where they take reviews or ratings. Uh, If you could do that, uh, that does help us get seen by more people and you know, if you're hearing something that you like, that you're interested in, that other people might also enjoy, uh, why not share it? Uh, it does help us grow that base as well. Anyway, guys, after a quick commercial break, we'll talk about some Tesla news. So we'll do a little bit more of a long-form segment here, kind of talking about the Tesla Model Y, as it is a pretty huge announcement something I wanted to cover earlier in the week, uh, but didn't get a chance to ahead of the announcement last night. So we'll kind of start uh, a little bit further into the past. What I find really interesting about the Tesla Model Y is that it is a model that we've known that's been coming for quite some time. Uh, If my memory serves me correctly, the plan had been for the Model Y uh, to come not long after the 3 and had been announced right around the time the 3, I think, debuted. Uh, more or less, you know, I think people were kind of focused in on the idea of whether or not this would be a blown-up Model 3 as the Model Y, or if it would be a much smaller X as the Model Y. Uh, and in the end, you know, I think Tesla had to look at a lot of what their competitors were going to be doing. Uh, Audi, of course, is doubling down on EV technology for uh, themselves, along with many other Volkswagen brands uh, across the board. And Audi's announcement last week of the Q4 e-tron, I think, definitely had to be a bit of a uh, 
I don't know, a chive in the smile of Tesla going into this announcement this week. Uh, the Q4 e-tron, you know, Audi was saying is going to be a 300 horsepower, near enough 300 mile range crossover for probably right around $60,000, if not maybe a little bit less in some certain configurations. And, you know, given Audi's track record with the e-tron thus far, uh, I think they would definitely have the capability to deliver a really well done crossover uh, for not a ton of money. And in the end, you know, it's pushed Tesla, I think, to de-radicalize the design elements that would have been in the X to make a smaller Y. And instead, I think smartly, uh, they focused in on what makes the Model 3 so good and applied that to create what we now know as the Model Y. Now, the late, late night debut last night went pretty long. A lot of promises coming from Elon Musk about how wonderful this vehicle is going to be. And there are a lot of great headlines uh, that he mentioned. Uh, 300 miles of range, 0 to 60 in less than 4 seconds, uh, able to charge uh, very quickly on the supercharger network. Um, you know, I think overall, though your, your results are really going to vary depending on what kind of version of the vehicle you get. And uh, that's kind of... Tesla's MO these days is that there's a lot of uh, over-promising, delivering on some, uh, maybe under-delivering on others, and of course Tesla's doing the thing that I personally don't really care for, especially at this point in the company, is that they are launching the very premium high-spec vehicles first, and then planning to launch the more affordable vehicles uh, two years from now. So what do you get with a Tesla Model Y? Well, basically it is a Model 3, uh, just inflated uh, a little bit more. Apparently the Model Y shares about 75% of its parts with that of the Model 3, um, but the Model Y is just slightly larger overall. Um, kind of difficult to tell uh, directly because there aren't a lot of photo comparisons between the two, um, but more or less, you know, if you kind of think of how big a BMW X3 is compared to a BMW 3 Series, I think you're kind of going to get a good idea of what kind of size increases to expect. Uh, what I do find to be very interesting, of course, about the Model Y is that Tesla will be offering a $3,000 third row seat option. Uh, it looks like, at least in photos, that these third row seats are going to be extremely small, extremely tight likely for people who do have very small children uh, that will be able to utilize that third row seat. But, you know, I really have to guess, and I think Tesla's probably betting, betting on this, is that not many people will probably make that kind of choice when configuring this vehicle. Now, speaking of configurations, uh, Tesla does have their uh, online shopping experience uh, up on their website right now for you to kind of peek in and see what kind of prices you can expect with these vehicles. And I think overall, you know, if you kind of think of the Tesla Model 3 plus 30%, uh, you get a pretty decent idea of where prices start. Now, as I'm here on the website, pardon me as it loads, uh, base trim version of the car starts at $42,700, and the top trim version starts at $55,700. Uh, that top trim performance model does offer all-wheel drive. However, it does lose, lose 20 miles of range, going down to 280 miles of range uh, from 300. Now, whether or not 
Those ranges are actually going to be real-world ranges. I think will really depend on where you live, how you drive, and so much. But more or less, those are going to be ranges that I think people are going to be willing to live with day-to-day in a way that I think is pretty darn good. What the low-range standard Model Y will end up being able to do uh, compared to those other models, I think will kind of be interesting to see. Um, It does make me wonder if that 300-mile range uh, will be somewhat achievable with that lighter, lower-weight base trim model, but given it's going to have that smaller battery pack capacity, um, it's probably going to be somewhere around 240 to 250 miles of range, uh, depending on what kind of options you get. Now, Tesla... Other than that, you know, it's the same basic stuff. Uh, any paint color other than black is like a $2,500 add-on. Uh, they have the autopilot feature, which is, what, $3,000. And then the automatic self-driving stuff, which I think is $7,000. Uh, so in the end, the price ramps up pretty quickly on some of these vehicles. Uh, a fully loaded performance model with all-wheel drive is going to run you about seventy grand. And whether or not you actually are getting your money's worth at that rate, uh, I think is somewhat questionable. Or excuse me, is somewhat questionable because seventy grand gets you an Audi e-tron, and the Audi e-tron is bigger. It is more capable. It has a similar amount of range. Uh, it's probably going to be built a little bit better. And I think I would argue, at least now, it being the new hotness does look a little bit nicer, uh, but, you know, that kind of remains to be seen. I haven't seen a Model Y in person quite yet. Uh, Nevertheless, you know, I think once the base trim version of the Model Y comes out, uh, Tesla's saying it's going to be around $42,000 or so, $40,000 to $42,000. I think that's going to be a pretty good starting point. So, you know, less than 50 grand with the uh, autopilot features enabled. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that's a good starting point. Now, there was a very interesting question that got asked, on, I believe it was Jalopnik today, was whether or not the Model 3 matters at all anymore now that the Model Y exists. Um, by that, they mean, you know, hey, the market is exploding in favor of crossovers, SUVs. Um, how much more likely are people going to be springing for the Model Y compared to the 3? Uh, you know, all things considered. And I think that is a question worth asking. You know, I I would tend to say that in my personal experience, I wouldn't choose the Model Y over the Model 3. Um, but that being said, once that cheaper model shows up, you know, is that 30% price increase, you know, model to model going to be that much better for you? And I think that kind of comes down to the cargo capacity because there will be a greater cargo capacity behind the rear seats in the Model Y. I think it's going to kind of come down to you know, if you prefer that slightly higher ride height, if you prefer that slightly uh, more, I don't know, cushy ride and handling experience, you know, that might be more your style. But I just don't see it as a justifiable choice to make over the standard uh, Model 3. Now, I think Tesla's kind of hedging their bets uh, that they will make a lot of these, uh, not just for the United States, but all around the world. Uh, All of the cars, it sounds like, in North America are going to be built at their factory outside of Las Vegas in Nevada. Uh, And then the global exported vehicles are going to be made uh, in their new factory that they're building outside of Beijing. Interesting, of course, because my conspiracy theory for a long time had been that the cheap Model 3s and Model Ys would be coming out of China, and then the rest would get made here in the U.S. and get exported out elsewhere. So what else can we kind of pull out of this announcement? Well, you know, I think it's, again, the same general feeling. You know, Tesla, 
They've really made a lot of promises. Whether or not they're going to deliver on this anytime soon, I think kind of remains to be seen. They're saying that it's going to be like two months or so until you're going to be able to get one of these. And I think part of that sped up process does have to do with the number of shared parts that it does have with the Model 3. Um, but, you know, I... When it comes to scale, when it comes to profitability, when it comes to the ability to build the cars that people want, I don't quite think Tesla's there yet. And I don't think they're going to deliver these on time, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, I'm sure that they're going to sell a bazillion of the mid-range models without the four-wheel drive, uh, which I think would be the configuration I'd go for at this point. Uh, but in the end, you know, hey, I, I'm just happy that there are more EVs out on the road. I'm happy that there's more choices in this market that continues to grow. And I'm really looking forward to seeing comparisons between this and the electric uh, Q4 e-tron once that comes out. I'm really interested in seeing this thing compared to some of the new electric Mercedes and BMW products that are being announced. Uh, Cadillac has a new crossover uh, that's coming out that's going to be EV powered. Um, that's definitely going to be a looker compared to this. Like, there's a lot of interesting stuff kind of in motion right now. And I'm hoping that we get to see a lot more of this in the near future. Uh, because if you've read the news at all when it comes to the environment uh, in the past week or so, uh, these new EVs hopefully are going to be a big change in the next couple of years when it comes to people's buying habits because they're going to have to be. So speaking of the green car revolution, we do need to talk for a moment about charging your car, specifically charging your car from home. Uh, Amazon has partnered up with Hyundai and Kia after already partnering with Audi uh, earlier this year with rolling out a simplified way to get a home charger installed uh, at your home, condo, or uh, whatever. At least in my case, well, you know, it's not going to work out so well for me. I live in an apartment complex, and as much as the state of Michigan has promised that they're going to make it easier to start installing EV chargers in many communities like mine, it's going to be homeowners and condo owners. Uh, they're going to be looking to install these 240-volt chargers that are really going to kind of pave the way to be making it much easier for many more people to do in the not-too-distant future. So what does Amazon do? Well, you get a link to head on over to their page. You basically have some knowledge of what kind of Kia or Hyundai EV you have already got, and you choose which wall charger is best for you. Uh, they give you three options, one from Bosch, one from ChargePoint, uh, which is a huge purveyor of uh, public electric car chargers all across the country, and then uh, one from Juicebox, which I think is a newer upstart that's got some pretty interesting packaging on their charging system. Uh, each of those charging systems is going to range somewhere between about $500 and $750, and uh, those ones do charge at slightly different rates. Uh, kind of skimming that down into the most basic of things, the 120-volt charger that comes with your electric car when you buy it uh, won't charge your car very quickly. Uh, it'll go 0 to 100, and we're talking like 12 24, 48, or more hours to charge most modern cars uh, off of that charger. Uh, a 240-volt charger, charger will cut that down to, usually with most EVs these days, between 9 to 12 hours. Much larger battery packs, of course, are going to take much more time. But where things get a little more interesting 
is when it comes to the amperage with which your charger operates. Uh, these chargers that Amazon is offering operate between 32 and 40 amps. Uh, the juice box and the Bosch units are more expensive. They do charge at a 40 amp rate and a lot of newer cars will be able to take advantage of that, charging your car just that little bit more quickly, um, but still, you know, taking most of the night to take care of things. Uh, while we're on the just one second to talk about amperages, as I already know we've drifted off course a little bit. Porsche, Audi, many other brands, they're talking about looking towards the future of having 100 amp, 120 amp, 300 amp charging uh, that would cut your charge time down on many of their vehicles from, you know, eight hours to two hours to as many as mere minutes to top your car off in many situations. Now, these chargers, I think definitely the Bosch one is arguably the better way to go. It's about $770 with tax and all that other jazz. And uh, you would then, after choosing that particular charger, uh, hook up with an independent contractor that's working with Amazon to install these chargers uh, in your area. They would come out to your house, give you an estimate on how much it would cost, and then they would actually perform that repair for you. Now, whether you pay them directly or you're paying Amazon, is a little confusing, but at the very least, Amazon knows who to put you in contact with because that's not always the most easy thing to do in many areas of the country. And in the end, you end up getting a charger that's able to charge not only your car, but most other vehicles uh, for, you know, zero to 100 in just a couple of hours overnight. Uh, the one thing that gets kind of weird, of course, is that depending on what kind of electric car you have, your results might vary a little bit. Uh, these chargers that Amazon is selling are the standardized plugs that most automakers are using. So that's going to be, you know, Hyundai and Kia, uh, BMW, Mercedes-Benz, uh, Nissan, General Motors, Ford, many others, all on that same proprietary plug set, or not even proprietary, but that same plug set, uh, versus Tesla, who sounds like they're going to have their own proprietary, well, they still have their own proprietary charging system, uh, but then Porsche, who will have their own specialty one that'll be completely different as well. So again, your charging rates may vary. Uh, just because I was curious, I went over to the Tesla website to see how much their wall charger would cost. It's about $500, uh, but they do have a few more requirements uh, for your home to be able to pump that wattage, that amperage into the car. Um, so you'd have to kind of consider what kind of things you need. It sounds like the uh, Tesla Model S, Tesla Model X, any of the things with the longer range batteries need about 60 amps of charging in order to be able to give you the performance that you need. Um, but the basic Tesla Model 3 only requires a 40 amp charge. Uh, so you might be able to get away with that cheaper priced install, uh, depending on how your home is equipped to handle that. All in all, you know, I think the big overarching thing to take away from this is that it is pretty cool that Amazon is taking the time to help people uh, install electric car chargers much more easily. It's really kind of surprised me, at least here, maybe, shouldn't maybe say surprise me in Michigan, but at least in many other parts of the country, that there aren't electricians jumping out of the woodwork, specializing only in the installation of electric vehicle chargers, with the explosion and the sales rates of the Model 3, you would think that there would be a much greater demand for electric car chargers in homes all across the country, um, but that really has kind of remained to be seen. I think as more and more automakers continue to offer these as options, as these options are likely to become the only option for many automakers, uh, if you're an electrician, I think it's definitely something to start looking into uh, because 
if you're an expert in this field, if you know how to do it, you've done it dozens of times, uh, you being able to get it done quickly and a pretty decent price, I think is going to get you some pretty decent money over the next five to 10 years. So there's my economic advice for this episode. Become an electrician, install car chargers, and make some decent money. So last up, a car that's on my mind, and it is a car that has been getting a lot of press as of late among the YouTube car channels, and there are a wide variety of reasons why it does deserve some interesting looks as of right now. So the 1992 to 1999 Buick LeSabre <laughs> was a really interesting car that came out of GM at a very interesting time. Uh, I have maintained for a long time that GM of the late 80s and early 90s were on their A-game when it comes to designing cars and trucks that had no reason to be as good as what they were, and yet they were way far ahead of the curve when it came to certain technologies and innovations that took years and years and years for other car companies to catch up to. Uh, things like touchscreen infotainment systems, uh, electromagnetic ride control, uh, night vision camera development. All of these things are things that you think of now being on a Mercedes-Benz, but they were on Buicks and Cadillacs 10, 15, 20 years ago in uh, really small iterations, really rudimentary iterations, uh, but GM was thinking ahead of the curve. Now, in many of their other cars that maybe didn't have that kind of stuff, they still had this aura of, I'm going to use the word responsibility, of being well-made, well-engineered American cars that were their own separate option away from European imports and Japanese imports. And the Buick Sabre kind of stands out as a very interesting one, uh, specifically when you compare it to its other H-body brethren. Uh, the Buick uh, LeSabre shared its platform with the Oldsmobile 88 and the Pontiac Bonneville, of which the Oldsmobile maybe you see even less of compared to the Buick LeSabre, but that Pontiac Bonneville was pretty well known for being an affordable full-size family sedan that seems to be able to run no matter what you do to it. The LeSabre, on the other hand, was much more comfortable. It was made for cruising. Uh, it appealed to much older and more elderly buyers, and as such, many of those cars were treated really quite well. And in the end, you know, have survived the 2000s in a way that, you know, many other Bonnevilles definitely did not. Now, this LeSabre I saw today was a kind of a robin's egg, sky blue color. It was a paint color that just really stood out simply because... It's a color you don't see anymore on many other cars. And it had those big chrome bumpers that made it look somewhat opulent, if perhaps a little goofy by today's standards. Uh, but with that big hood ornament with those chrome hubcaps, it really just looks interesting in a way that many other Buicks today have not. Looking at some of the videos and other photos that are posted on the internet about this car, and I think really that regular car reviews episode uh, about this Buick deserves a lot of attention simply because, you know, this is a GM product that had actual switch gear. It had actual buttons uh, that weren't made out of plastic. You know, they were maybe they were plastic. I don't know, but they at least felt like metal. And you could tell that someone gave a shit when they put it together. 
Compare that in contrast to the LeSabre that came after this in the year 2000, and that car is a cheap ripoff of what it had replaced. Plastic was everywhere. Buttons and switchgear is broken nine times out of ten, and the ones that you see, maybe I shouldn't say broken nine times out of ten, but often not in good condition, and in the end just comes off as a less nice car. Now, I was curious to see what kind of price ranges are to be expected on these uh, LeSabres these days here in Michigan, and, well, your results are really going to vary. I found one that was in, all things considered, pretty okay condition, except for some pretty major uh, exterior blemishes down one side of the vehicle. looks like it may have been sideswiped. They only wanted, like, $700 for it. Ran perfectly, only 130,000 miles. If you had some expertise in replacing body panels and repainting the car, it might actually be a nice vehicle. Other LeSabres, at least, that are readily available in the area, they're going to be those 2000 and up models that eventually got replaced by the Lucerne. Those models run anywhere between about $1,200 to $3,500, sometimes a little bit more. Uh, One in particular I came across uh, was a 2003 model with only 120,000 miles on it, and uh, it was owned by some old lady who just kind of pitter-pattered it around town and went to the shops. The AC unit needs to be recharged, but other than that, it's perfect running condition for $3,300. You know, I have to say to some extent that if I was going on a road trip and I didn't want to spend money on really expensive plane tickets to cross the country and I had the time to you know, pilot a vehicle across the country, something like that would make a compelling argument against buying a family of four's airplane tickets for uh, this kind of trip. And, you know, you're going to be a lot more comfortable riding in the back of a Buick for a few more hours than you would in the back of a uh, Boeing 737 at this point. So might not be the worst option. But have you seen any of these around you lately? Uh, I'd be curious to know what kind of prices these LeSabres are going for in your neck of the woods. I find it really interesting that that earlier model, that 92 to 97 model, pretty, or excuse me, the 92 to 99 model gets to be that much more difficult to find. Um, but, you know, when it is the better one, and particularly the 97 to 99s, uh, that is definitely the one to go for. One thing I also didn't really research The Oldsmobile 88s, specifically the L88s, those were the cool ones, I would argue, of this generation. Be curious to know how those are holding up price-wise, quality-wise, attention. Uh, I remember being in high school, maybe early college, seeing a used uh, Oldsmobile L88. Must have been like a 97 or 98 model, and thinking, wow, that you know, that wouldn't be a bad car to drive on a daily basis. So... Maybe, just maybe, there's another one out there with my name on it one of these days. But anyway, if you haven't checked it out, Buick LeSabre, great videos on regular car reviews, great video on Hoovy's Garage, definitely worth checking out if you've got a couple minutes uh, to wrap up your week this week. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brett Isaac, and you can follow me on Twitter at YSSMAN, and you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. If you're a listener and you haven't subscribed, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're on a platform that asks you to give us a rating or a short little review, if you could do that, that'd really help us out. It does help us get seen by more and more people. And if you hear a segment that you really enjoy, make sure to share it with a friend or family member 
who might be interested as well. Again, helps us grow the channel just that little bit more. Anyway, guys, uh, we had a surprisingly warm day yesterday here in Michigan. It was just over 60 degrees, and now today it's barely above 30 and it's snowing. Huh. As soon as you get a peek in at spring, it goes away that much faster. So kind of disappointing, nevertheless. But guys, I hope it is warm and nice where you are at. If you get a chance, definitely head outside. Uh, just check and see if your car is okay. I think right now my big thing that I want to do regarding my car is just cleaning it. That center console has gotten just like this thin film of grime that just needs to be wiped down and I just haven't had the time to get out there with some cleaning cloths and just do the business so hopefully maybe you're in a neck of the woods uh, where it's just that little bit better but anyway guys I hope you have a fantastic week and assuming everything goes to plan in my life going into next week we will have another episode of the salvage title podcast out on Tuesday we'll talk about something news and noteworthy or whatever else is interesting at the start of the week so until then guys have a great weekend and we will see you next week on the salvage title podcast